Well, I'd invite you to take your Bibles this morning or grab a pew Bible that's in front of you or beneath you if you're on the front pew. You can take your um, mobile device. People pull up scripture from that as well. And we're going to be reading out of Luke's gospel in chapter 1 this morning as we are winding down this season of time in which we've been looking at some of the women of the New Testament. I'll confess to you this morning that in all the years that I've been preaching, I have never preached on Elizabeth. And she's a fairly major character in this story that Luke gives us about Jesus' birth. So let's kind of follow the story of Elizabeth and also her husband, Zechariah. We'll begin with verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now the next few verses give us the story about Zechariah, who is this priest, and he's in the temple. The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and tells him that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. He is to be called John. And Zechariah doesn't believe Gabriel. He just thinks he's crazy. My wife can't be having a baby at this advanced age. And so one of the consequences of Zechariah's unbelief is that the angel Gabriel tells him, you'll be unable to speak until after your son is born. So we pick up the story in verse 23. When his time, speaking of Zechariah's time of service, was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Then we pick up the story in verse 39. Mary has now also had a visitation by the angel Gabriel and has informed her that she is going to be expecting a baby and he is to be called Jesus. He will be the savior of the world. So we pick up the story in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Then go down to verse 57. We move a few months later in the story. 
When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> well, sometime around my sixth grade year, I received a letter in the mail one day. Now, when you're in the sixth grade, and my guess is this is still the case today, but certainly back when I was growing up, when you're in the sixth grade, you just don't get many letters in the U.S. Postal Service mail delivery. So you can imagine that when I saw the letter and it had my name on it, you know, I was kind of excited. I still wish I had that letter today. I, I don't know what happened to it, but I wish I had that letter because it was a kind, it was an affirming, it was a very supportive letter that was written by one of my royal ambassador counselors. I was an RA when I was in elementary school. And that royal ambassador counselor just wrote me a letter to encourage me as a young Christian and to be supportive and encouraging about what he regarded as the good leadership that I was exhibiting, apparently, in Royal Ambassadors. I must tell you that I really think God used that letter as one of his instruments to call me into ministry. As I thought about that letter this week, you know, I thought all of us at some point in our lives, or maybe at many points in our lives, we need someone who will send us the letter. We need someone who will write us the email. We need someone who will send us the text or pick up the phone to make the phone call, or we need someone who will make the face-to-face -face visit with us. And we'll offer those words of truth that bless us for some task ahead. Sometimes we need people to speak those words of truth to us about things that we do not see in our lives. Or if we see them, we're not willing to admit it or to own it. So you see, in this particular text this morning, Elizabeth speaks both of these kinds of truth to the people that she encounters. She offers words that bless, and she also offers some words that confront. 
Now, first of all, Elizabeth speaks some words of truth and blessing to Mary, who is about to become the mother of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Mary makes, now think about this, Mary is more than likely a teenager. She is a young woman. You know, girls married early in that day. If you got much beyond 16, 17, or 18 years of age and you were not married, you were an old maid. You were in trouble. You might not ever get married if you got to be that age. So she's a woman. She is a teenager. She has already been informed and she has accepted the responsibility of being the mother of the Savior of the world. And by herself, she makes an 80-mile trek from Nazareth and heads down toward Judea. Now, I was in the Holy Land over three years ago, and I rode a bus that length, but can you imagine walking it? Can you imagine being a young lady, and maybe you, maybe you had a donkey available to you, and so you went that way. She makes that 80-mile trek down to Judea. We don't know the town. The, the Luke doesn't identify the town but makes the trek to see her relative, Elizabeth. She's a teenager, and she's pregnant, and she's without a husband, officially. She's engaged. Matthew's Gospel tells us that she has been engaged to Joseph for a year, but the wedding, the marriage has not been consummated. Let me just repeat what I just said. She's a woman. She's unmarried, officially. She's pregnant. You with me? Now we know what the social stigma is today for unmarried pregnant women. But let me tell you what the social stigma in that day was about a hundred times what it is for us today. Unmarried social, unmarried pregnant women are social and religious outcasts. They are women who are excluded by family, by close friends, and the faith community. You see, in this culture, you put your principles and your positions over people. Even if it means a member of your own family. The grace of God just doesn't cover some sin in this culture. And this was one of them. You were a social outcast. You were a religious outcast. You were not accepted in the community of faith by your family and your friends. Now, I suspect that Elizabeth, I suspect one of the reasons that she welcomed, see, see, Elizabeth could have refused to allow Mary into her home, and it would have been fine by the cultural norms of that day. I suspect that one of the reasons that Elizabeth welcomes Mary into her home is because Elizabeth herself has also experienced religious and social rejection and ostracism. You see, in this culture, barrenness. You cannot have a child. That is considered a sign of divine disfavor. In our day and age, that's not the case. But for the Jewish people, if you're a woman and you get to be an old lady and you've not had children, you are considered 
that something happened in your life and it's a sign of divine disfavor. The fact is, it is, it is a great reproach. But you've got to give Elizabeth a lot of credit. At least she doesn't default to the position that we often do sometimes. You know, your sin is worse than mine. She, she welcomes. She welcomes Mary into her home because both of them, socially, religiously, have experienced that kind of rejection. Elizabeth chooses to speak words of blessing. Not condemnation. She speaks words of blessing to Mary and the text says in a loud voice. In a very loud voice she says, Blessed are you Mary among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You know, I have a lot of people as a pastor throughout the years who come to see me. And they come to see me because they want to have a pastoral conversation with their pastor. Many times they, they are facing a challenge, a problem. They may be in a moment of crisis. And while it's never said aloud, but sometimes it is, there are a lot of people who want their pastor to tell them what to do about a problem or a challenge that they're facing. And I always resist telling someone what to do for several reasons. Number one, it's their life, not mine. And number two, I can barely handle my life on my best days, much less your life. So I kind of resist telling other people what to do. I instead like to ask a lot of questions. And I like to try to provide a safe space where people can talk aloud about their questions and their doubts and their uncertainties and their fears. But occasionally, someone will come and it's really clear to them and it's really clear to me that they have already made a decision about a particular problem or challenge or issue. They've already made the decision. They feel good about the decision. But what they need to hear is a word of blessing. They need to hear from their pastor, hey, you've made a good decision as best you know it. You believe that God has led you to make this decision. Now carry forth, move forward, and know that God's going to go with you. It's obvious that they came to hear a word of blessing. That, that's what Mary gives, or rather Elizabeth gives to Mary. She gives to Mary the gift of offering a blessing. The gift of offering some encouragement to follow the call of God in her life. And you know, God sometimes will place people, I think, in our path, and we have the privilege of becoming to them an Elizabeth. You know, the name Elizabeth means God is my treasure or God is my abundance. And many times, God places people in our paths, I'm convinced, to offer those words of blessing to another people, to another person, to remind that individual that God is their treasure, that God is their abundance, that God will go with them, walk with them, and be with them in whatever decision they've made or however God has led them.
That's what Elizabeth does for Mary. She, she blesses her. She gives her that gift of encouragement and support because think about it. She's got a pretty major responsibility coming up. She's going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Wouldn't you appreciate a blessing if God had given you that kind of assignment? So that's the first word of truth that, that Elizabeth speaks. She offers these words of blessing to Mary. But we also see in the text that Elizabeth speaks a word of truth, really a word of confrontation to Zechariah, to all of the relatives and the friends who are present to witness the naming of this child that Elizabeth has born after eight, day, eight days after his birth. You see, it's time in the Jewish way of doing things, it's time on the eighth day to circumcise a male child. Circumcision is a sign of the Jewish covenant. It's the sign that God has given the Jewish people, hey, you're my people. Circumcise every male child. But a name has yet to be given. You see, Zechariah has been unable to speak since the angel Gabriel in the temple nine months earlier for not believing that Elizabeth would bear a son at such an advanced age. So the friends and the relatives are all present for the circumcision and they're present for the naming of the child and the friends and the relatives are politicking to call the child after the name Zechariah. Now you know we all like to think about naming our children. Michael talked about that with the children this morning. We're all particular and we like to think about what name are we going to give our child. And I understand that. Both of my children and their respective spouses are now expecting a child each during the month of May, nine days apart. I don't know what it is about my two children. They ended up getting married 28 days apart. Now they're coordinating their babies nine days apart. And so, you know, I've been thinking about the name of those two children. Now our son's child, we already know is going to be a boy. And I just think the name Gregory would be an outstanding choice. And of course, I advocated that with the other three grandchildren to no avail. But I just think the name Gregory would be an outstanding choice for my son's son. Now, the daughter, we, we don't know about Lauren's child yet, whether it'll be a boy or a girl. But if it's a girl, I'm still thinking that they should consider the name Gregnetta. I advocated that as well for our first grandchild, and I lost. So, see, I understand what Zechariah is thinking here. They're all saying he should be called Zechariah. And Zechariah is not speaking because he wants the name Zechariah. I understand how those things work. But you see, Zechariah knows that he's already communicated to Elizabeth. Even though he can't speak, he's already communicated to Elizabeth what the angel Gabriel told him in verse 13. 
you shall call his name John. Zechariah knows that. But you see, Zechariah is like I am about Gregory and Gregnetta. He's a little bit in denial about what the name really should be. And that's when Elizabeth speaks up and speaks out and speaks the truth to those relatives and to those family who are present. And finally, that's when Zechariah takes the writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he writes on the tablet, his name is John. And suddenly he is released from his muteness. But you know what? It takes Elizabeth. It takes Elizabeth's willingness to speak the truth of what Zechariah knew but was unwilling to admit that pushed him to the place where God wanted him to be. You know, sometimes we all need a push about something. Fact is, sometimes you and I maybe need a gentle verbal shove from some folks to help us see those places where God might be at work in our lives, to see those places where God might be at work in the world. Or maybe if we see it, we might not like what we see. And so we need those people to help us budge from the position that we've landed in to a place where God wants us to be. We, we, need, we need some shoves every once in a while. We need those people who will speak truth to us about a reality that either we don't see or if we see it, we're not willing to admit it or to own it. You know, my mother had a come-to-Jesus meeting with me one summer day. It was about a year or so after I became a Christian and was baptized. I'd accepted Jesus. And it was probably not too far from that time when I received that letter in the mail from that RA counselor. I don't remember exactly what I was doing or what I was saying or what my attitude was like around the house. And it is amazing how our words and our actions and our attitudes can be different at home and in public, isn't it? So the RA counselor saw one thing in me, but my mother saw something else, and she decided it was time to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. You know what a come-to-Jesus meeting is, don't you? It's that meeting where truth is spoken. And my mother decided that there needed to be some adjustment and realignment of my attitude and my actions and I think she decided that she was going to be the mechanic who would do the repair work. She very gently and yet firmly reminded me that I had said a year or so ago that I was going to follow Jesus, that I was going to be a Christian. And therefore she suggested to me that I ought to start acting and talking like one around the house. My mother also offered words, I remember, of love and blessing as her son. You see, my mother that day was an Elizabeth for me. 
She was someone who spoke some words of blessing into my life, and she was also someone who spoke some words of truth that confronted me and helped me see a destructive part of myself that I had yet to see and had yet to acknowledge. So you see, we all need some Elizabeths to speak those words of truth and blessing in our lives. And every once in a while, God calls us to be an Elizabeth too. Every once in a while, there's someone else in our life, and we need to be an Elizabeth to them. We need to speak a word of blessing, or maybe a word of confrontation and truth. 